Paul, if you were to split your life story into three neat chunks, what would happen in each one there? Oh, well, following the Aristotelian uh, <laughs> narrative structure, uh-huh. first one, of course, first one conception. <laughs> it's that it builds up. Oh God, it's like Tristram Shandy. Yeah, it builds up and it's, culminates in your conception. It's from the balls into the world. <laughs> Uh, skipping the whole pregnancy thing. It's about it's the not... geopolitical context of your conception. <laughs> Margaret Thatcher's Britain. <laughs> Couldn't have happened yeah, any I'm, other I'm, way. I'm ejaculated onto a map of Britain. And, uh, <laughs> it's got various oh, flags in it, depending on the status of the uh, the Irish peace movement. <laughs> and um, I mean, that's that's enough for one. It'll just be a oh, God, two, yeah. and fif- two hour, 15 minute ejaculatory sequence. So the first one's obviously directed by Gaspar Noe. And I feel like it should be different directors for each one here. <laughs> Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, second would probably be, I think, I think you know, I'm just gonna Peter Jackson for second one. <laughs> okay. um, from ages eight to ten. From a jizz eight to ten. It sounds eight. like exception again. <laughs> from the age, sorry, let me. From the age of eight to ten. From the um, age of eight. Because there was a bit of me. I was on a bouncy castle once, and I got kicked in the face. Not on, not on purpose, but I think Peter Jackson could lend, yeah, a lot I mean, of majesty to that moment. Already, I'm seeing that at 48 frames a second, 40x. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah, it's gonna be the your chair's rocking. Someone <laughs> kicking you in the face. <laughs> I don't know if you've been to 40x, but there's a new thing they've got. I don't like it. I'm not sure about this one, Peter Jackson. <laughs> And Mr. Cineworld goes, well, I don't see you leaving. Uh, it's quite <laughs> comfy when I'm not being kicked in the face. <laughs> in between. Well, not life. And, and then I think that the, the, the third would obviously just be a huge court hearing and trial <laughs> regarding the, the, the head in the eye. And I think Oliver Stone would have to direct that, Paul. Fuck yeah. And he could just loosely just run with the, the vague details. It was my cousin <laughs> who got me in the eye. I think it could be John Kennedy himself. <laughs> Back from the dead, kicking people in the yeah. eye. Yeah. And uh, I'd be enough. played by Kevin Costner. That's good enough. You'd be played by Yondu. We can just tell him that in a pub. (laughs) I will be played by Yondu. (laughs) How do you know who your OGT is? Because your pub told you so. Oh, I hate this. Everyone's left. (laughs) Except for Lars von von Trier giving me a standing ovation at camp. (laughs) The Werner Herzog who insists it's art. Like, all life, it goes nowhere. (laughs) I do not understand it. And yet, it is my new favourite film. And I'm retiring immediately. (laughs) Hello and welcome to One Good Thing, the podcast that easily takes two films just to warm up. We get there eventually. I'm Paul Salt. I'm the whole set. And I'm Paul Salt Rises. The cycle is complete. (laughs) I see what you did there. (laughs) With Rise of the Skywalker bringing the Star Wars sequel trilogy to a close in just a few weeks, Mm. it's time for us to discuss Mm. the trilogy. Mm. What is it? What? Why is it? What is the Uh... best of it? All of these confusing questions and more shall be answered here on One Good Thing. <laughs> I'm Walter Concrete Concrete Cronkike Cronlike I'm Walter and uh, <laughs> I wonder if he, I wonder if there's an extended outtake reel of him just fucking it up once. <laughs> Kennedy, President Kennedy has been shot. I'm Walter Co- Co- Cornflake Corn <laughs> Corncrake Cron- Cockbite Cockbite oh. Cockbitey bitey. <laughs> And uh, President's dead, bye. <laughs> he just leaves and his tie is all that's left. Just flopping to the someone, chair. <laughs> someone had some Pulitzer on the way out. <laughs> Movie trilogies have existed throughout cinematic history, which I read as one word there for some reason. Cinema to history. All the way back to the early 20th century, where movies like De Golem 1915 and Edward Pachalski's Antichrist trilogy all had three it. entries. I know. Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone described uh, Judas... 
oh fuck, I did Google how to pronounce the um, Polish word W, and now I can't remember what they said. I think helpfully they said just roll it into the next word, which begins with a K. Okay. <laughs> Great. Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone described Judas Wikorini, uh, the 1915 conclusion to the Antichrist trilogy, as an unholy mess. This franchise should have gone the way of the Kaiser. Immortal film critic Peter Travers of the Rolling Stone there. May he gather no moss. (laughs) The limp-dicked Kaiser. (laughs) It makes so much sense when you realise that he's been alive for about 400 years. (laughs) You just think he's jaded, but actually he's just wise. He's just terrified. Just such a great guy. This new film reminded me of those newfangled car machines. (laughs) The ones that I invented, Peter Travers' Immortal Man. (laughs) Oh, thanks, Peter Travers. Nice. Thanks for everything. It's a shame you've abandoned your um, in, uh, sort of engineering acumen somewhere around the 1980s and devoted yourself <laughs> full time to awful film criticism. <laughs> oh, you're a great film critic. Very good. Big fan. Feet. He's very good. Especially. He's just a bit weird. For, for a man with such small feet. And he's got <laughs> you really, such a you have to take that broad vocabulary. Mate, I'll say it. Even for a guy with regular sized feet, his achievements would be quite something. <laughs> No, you can't you can't admit considering... that because then what are we? Nothing. <laughs> yeah. The trilogy remains a very popular structure for cinematic expression. Mm. Though some longer franchises have recently proved themselves capable of maintaining their story and quality for longer. Oh. So Paul, you anticlimax. What? What's one thing about film trilogies that is why they exist? Oh, the closure, I think, is a big one, isn't it? Oh, you gotta love that. I love yeah. the closure of a trilogy. Um, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Yep. Mass Effect. <laughs> All the closure that you could want. Game of Thrones, which is a trilogy for the purposes of yeah. this gag. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> yeah. Lawrence of Arabia. Just yeah. Say anything. Yeah, say anything. Easy. That's how comedy works. Actually, yeah. You actually could. That dog. Yeah. Brilliant. Anything. The picture of Alan Moore <laughs> that you gave me um, for I love China. That That's a trilogy. <laughs> You're still using it in Australia, though. I hope you're using a converter. <laughs> I've tried once or twice, and you don't you don't want to be uh, using a converter and going 60 on the freeway, mate. <laughs> Not on an animal. <laughs> you skid off the road, and all of, all of a sudden, you're a Scott Derrickson. <laughs> don't know what happened. I think, actually, that is something to it. There's something to be said for the concise nature of a trilogy. Mm. You know, brevity. Not letting it drag on. Yeah. Until you get to Freddy's dead. Yeah. I think there's plenty of franchises that are out there that could probably have benefited from stopping at three. I think so. I think it's seen as a mark of integrity, you know. And the new Star Wars the prestige movies, of a of a tri- of a trilogy. Of a trilogy, yes, it's something Jesus would have done. Yeah, the new Star Wars movies are really strange for this, in that the um the producers seem only capable of talking about these movies in terms of trilogies. Mm. It's like, oh yeah, Ryan Johnson is getting a trilogy. The Game <laughs> of Thrones guys were going to get a trilogy. It's like, of what? it's never a movie. It's just yeah. a, a Star Wars trilogy of some sort. <laughs> Go write all three. Yeah. Uh, I don't have an idea for one yet. Awesome. Use it. <laughs> I mean, Christopher Nolan famously was always really, you had to fucking drag him like a cat out of a bin, you know, in order to get him to make any of these movies. <laughs> Cats fucking love bins. They, they love really, They bins. really do. Um, well, you can tell, can't you, mate, eh? Fucking Christopher Nolan, fucking worst film ever. Don't know, fucking man. How do you even get? How do you even get to Gotham, Paul? How do you get to Gotham? How do you get in? How did he get in? Worst movie ever. I hate it. But yeah, it's like, oh yeah. Do you want to make another extraordinarily great film? I'm gonna make that one and the other one. (laughs) Will that one do? He just points to the corner where Inception's gathering (laughs) dust. (laughs) We'll let you make that if it's a trilogy. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, it's a trilogy with um. 
Oh, Memento and the other one I did. <laughs> Will that do? Well, you can have... Look, I've made Interstellar and Inception and Insomnia. There you go. It's the three ends. <laughs> trilogy of ends. genius. genius. <laughs> Christopher Nolan's prestigious in trilogy. <laughs> Shit, I'm actually going to throw out the list we've made. Yeah, I think you can also link it to the fact the three-act structure that most stories tend to conform to, whether the yes. author intends it or not. It's the way the human brain works. You offer mm. the scenario, thesis, a twist or opposition to that scenario, antithesis, and then a resolution, synthesis. It's yes. just the way we like structuring ideas. Even if you tell a story about going down to the pub and bumping into a friend, you'll probably yeah. structure it that way instinctively of, so I was going yeah. down the pub, at one. Yeah. And I ran yeah. into this fucking guy, at two. <laughs> but in the end, yeah. it was all right, at three. You're not going to go in media res. <laughs> Del- delicious and pint. At- and- pull, a, pull a fucking David Fincher, at four, I'm in the pub, having a drink, talking to you. <laughs> at four, it was all right. 20 bucks. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, and... and, and- and I think it's, it's like we've said uh, in the past, you know, a, a, a three hour film, it doesn't feel its length if it's if it's a quality piece of cinema because, you know, mm. it's engaging and it's not about the time that you're spending watching it. Then it's just about yeah. the, the thing you're engaged in and a, tr- and a trilogy mm. that properly makes use of that three act structure over three films can yeah. it can it can sort of stretch its legs and it can use the time, yeah. you know, of, 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 of three movies to properly to properly tell the story it needs. Sometimes it's the complete opposite of that, but um, yeah, it can be. Sometimes they're but, shit. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we've got to remember that. But yeah, film a film is only really long, or you're only really going to be able to make it great if you explore one thing fully, and that might be setting up a scenario. Yeah, you know, obviously each film should have the three act structure within it, or you know, not yeah. should, but probably will, and yeah. then. And as an overarching structure, generally, you can see the trilogy as the thing that sets up a universe. The second one is something that kind of throws it into disarray. And a third one, some kind of return to normality. And the best, King the or best Jedi. trilogies... Yeah, King or Jedi. The best trilogies tend to sort of follow that. Yeah. Yeah, that kind of structure. Narratively, anyway. Narrative trilogies, yeah, I, I so. suppose. Yeah. Because yeah, then you exactly. get into well, thematic trilogies. And... Even thematic. So we are going to talk about thematic uh, trilogies mm. when we uh, get into our top ten. But yeah, some trilogies are considered such, even though they don't contain the same characters. They're not set in the same universe Yeah, as such. In fact, you might have cat actors playing different roles in each one. Outrageous. But they get tied together. And sometimes they're not even designed as a trilogy. They get later on described as a trilogy sort of by film mm. critics who have decided that in some way, or by the filmmakers themselves who have decided. Yeah. Last one, Trio loves splitting his movies into trilogies. Yeah. Um, you know, in some way they've decided that this is all part of the same sort of grand structure. And I mean, and, yeah. you know, you're not necessarily going to know if you're working on something that's them- thematically similar until you're done, which yeah, is a really interesting way of going about it, I suppose. You can you can come come out of it and go, I wrote all of those movies while I was working at Quicksave. And um, <laughs> that is now the Quicksave trilogy because it, it you know makes a lot of sense. And reflecting on that, yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, sometimes it gets tied into the circumstances around the production. And in trying to reach for an example of that, all I can arrive at is the albums that David Bowie recorded in Berlin, which isn't quite appropriate for the conversation. And the yet, Cocaine how... in the Corner trilogy. <laughs> and yet surely surely it is the greatest analogy of all time very possibly because i was thinking of josh trank in a tent it's not even a trilogy <laughs> his tent trilogy it so far hasn't included its third <laughs> volume but we all wait very anxiously we're so desperate for it I and mean, filmmakers often return to the same ideas and try to explore them you know in new ways and sometimes the act of making a film can lead you to come to different conclusions and you know the best way to I can't remember who who it was who said the best way to critique a film is to make your own. I'm going to find that out. I think it was one of the Uwe 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 U
It was Uwe Boll, one of the yeah. French New Wave guys. <laughs> um, I mean, to be fair, he has really deconstructed the mechanics of cinema. <laughs> left it on far. the floor. It's like a deconstructed chair that you then have to try and sit in. Uwe, are you going to put that back together again? I'll do it later. <laughs> I fi- I'm going to fight you. Where am I from? So now that we've decisively proved that the movie trilogy is the holy grail of cinematic franchises, talk about all the best ones. Oh, go on then, since you asked. So I think we'll start with some honourable mentions. And I think we need to just mention here all of the trilogies that have wonderful entries but are let down by a single weak link. Yeah. It's usually the third movie, although I think Indiana Jones would be probably in my list if not for Temple of Doom. The second. Interesting. Yeah. I know it's controversial and a lot of people really like it, but I... It just is so at odds for me. It's like Spielberg went for a very campy kind of 80s period where he produced stuff like the Amity... Was it the Amity Vault? No, Poltergeist and uh, Gremlins Mm. and such. This feels like the movie made by the guy who made Gremlins and not the sort of Mm. grandiose epic, you know, of the 70s and 90s that you'd kind of want from Spielberg. Yeah, right. I don't really remember it, to be honest. Yeah. It probably speaks volumes, but... (laughs) It's just him having to put up with an incredibly annoying kid and an incredibly annoying woman. Oh, uh, yeah. They are very annoying, though. That is the thing. Yeah. They're not Karen Allen, either of them. Yeah. But usually it's the third one that's weak. Uh, And you've got The Godfather, Spider-Man, X-Men. You've actually got both X-Men trilogies. Yeah, the sort of first class trilogy and the yeah, God, that was Days of Future Past for me. Was you could see him beginning to see the man beginning to stumble, and then the third one was uh, (laughs) oh no, now he's face down in a pile of sick. Well, I think he had a really good screenwriter for Days of Future Past, which yeah, he didn't then have for (laughs) for Apocalypse. But um, uh, but interestingly, you have the inverse with the Wolverine trilogy. Ah, okay. The third part is. The, re- the reason it's good they exist yeah <laughs> more disappointing third entries austin powers i think yeah i think that was that was a bit of a wafty one um yeah bit of a wafty wafty yeah michael caine and beyonce wafty. together was not the 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 the, <laughs> the, the, the jewel to, like the twin flames that you everybody was hoping <laughs> i was hoping uh, how could it not be blade although to be honest i kind of like trinity with ryan reynolds in it and a it's vampiric pomeranian and triple h so he's got everything. Just a bit of a plagued production, right? Yeah, fucking hell, it was awful. We should get in, we should do, I could do a defense of Blade Runner Trinity if it's poorly reviewed. I'm not sure how poorly reviewed it is. Blade Runner but Trinity. Yeah, it's worth doing just to get into that Blade Runner. You know, a bunch of guys trying to hunt down air fresheners who have become sentient <laughs> and escaped into a dystopian Los Angeles. That. It's brilliant. More recently, Pitch Perfect. Uh, a pretty disappointing third entry. Robocop. And a terrible third entry. <laughs> and I'm actually a really good second one that people often forget. Oh, I think we both feel quite strongly about this. Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy. Yeah, man. I just... Two of the best... I've, I've seen it a few times now and I just... World's End. Can't. Yeah. I mean, it's just two of the best comedy films made in our lifetimes. And then that one. The World's End. <laughs> just it's, it's a film with, I, th- I think, too many straight men, I think. Um, as, as in, like, in, in a comedy sense, <laughs> not enough gays for my liking for comedy. Um, you can't, you can't make fun of straight men. Fucking gays not showing up for my film. Hate this. Yeah. Everyone's a straight man except for Simon Pegg, and it's just such a lazy ending. I and... just remember feeling like none of these are real people. Like great yeah. actors in there, like Eddie Marson and Paddy Considine, and I just remember yeah. them like behaving really strangely and yeah. just not being convinced or necessarily endeared and simon Pegg's performance is just a little bit I yeah know, it's just it just i don't like it i didn't like it it's the, it's the summary to take away here just didn't like it it was good <laughs> and i hate the ending absolutely it's just so lazy but i, I, I think they, they had maybe it feels like they had five years to write 
each of the other ones and then well then they just <laughs> got done whilst they were working on their other hollywood projects yeah yeah there is a feeling of oh, fuck it are we back again it was like sherlock season four in that sense it was just oh, we're gonna do another one yeah right yeah all right all right yeah. uh the three mothers trilogy dario argento third one straight to dvd later dario argento not great um <laughs> upsetting considering the first two are suspiria and inferno two of his best films that's uh mm. disappointing unbreakable surprisingly i'd say yeah. unbreakable and split pretty good then glass oh, yeah pretty pretty not good yeah yeah <laughs> true probably most iconically apart from the godfather is the terminator which you know yeah it's not bad the third one i guess it's just the I... first two are sublime yeah to the third credit it oh. ends with the end of the world yeah i like the ending which... it's the inverse of yeah. um, the world's end i like the ending i dislike yeah. everything else I think the reason that typically that happens is that, well, firstly, the second part is usually the most successful one because the first part earns an audience and then the second part makes bank and then the producers start taking notice and then start interfering to be like, no, 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 we've got a franchise now. And it's like, oh. Yeah, great. (laughs) Also, if a first movie has to establish a universe, then the third movie has to tie everything together and be bigger Mm -hmm. in scale and scope than the previous two. That's a lot of expectation. And consequently, the second one... It does, and the second one tends to be most free of expectation and, and obligation. It doesn't have to necessarily mm. set up anything or tie everything off. It just has to be a bit mm. bigger than the last one. And I think that's why often yeah. the second entry is the best in movie trilogies. Now, I feel like we'd better talk about Star Wars a bit. No, why? Star Wars is not to be appearing on this list. No. Which will be blasphemy for many. And I've been thinking about this, and why Star Wars has been missing from more than a few of our lists. Yeah. Notably soundtracks. Yeah. I haven't... In my adult life, sat down and watched the entire Star Wars trilogy. And the reason for that... No, I haven't. And the reason for that is because somewhere around my teens, I learned that I had only ever experienced the special editions. Mm. You know, in cinema, when I saw them in release in 1997, and on video when we had Mm. the box set. And the special editions are somewhat compromised versions of these films. Very annoying and unnecessary editions by Lucas. So whenever I feel like I'm in the mood to watch Star Wars, and I kind of want to do it before Christmas and before Rise of the Skywalker, Mm. I just have no way of having what would feel to me like the true Star Wars experience. And maybe Disney will finally realize that and release the unspecial edition of the original trilogy in high definition. Yeah. You know, but I think for my generation, this might be something that George Lucas has denied to us. Because whenever I watch Return of the Jedi, I have to put up with Jedi rocks. The fucking pop and Jar Jar number. at the end. Yeah, Jar Jar at the end, Hayden Christensen. Some people have the VHS still, Paul, and they're kings around here because Yeah. I did I did get to watch them. And you know, that my opinion hasn't really changed since mm. I first sat down and watched the whole trilogy, which was A New Hope was was pretty good. Empire Strikes Back was fantastic and yeah. I I'm really not too fussed about Return of the Jedi. I think it's very silly. I think it's a bit of a step down, unfortunately, because it does spend its first act, its entire first act kind of wrapping up anything that was interesting about empire it's like yes yes it resets the clock back to the beginning of empire by the second act and yeah. it's like right another death star i think i really hope <laughs> yeah. i really really fucking hope rise of the skywalker doesn't do the same thing <laughs> come yeah. on jj i'm nervous man <laughs> to, to, like, to be fair i i also i didn't grow up with star wars in the same way that i grew up with you know terminators one and yeah. two and starship troopers very well adjusted <laughs> child <laughs> Um, but I, I can see how watching that at a formative age mm. would have, you know, would make a very deep mark on you. Yeah. Like a big fat man's footprint. Well, 
it, a cake. I would say it had a mark on me. It just, it just, it, I can't watch it now. I've got the actual despecial, oh, a bit illegal, but I've got Harmy's despecialized editions. And I'm going to have a mm. go at watching them over Christmas because I really want to do it. But as a result of torrenting it, firstly, it's not great definition. It's kind of jerky. And secondly, I only have a handful of things I can watch it on. I can't go watch it on my mm. big old screen. So, yeah, it's just, I, I just want a good Blu-ray of the Star Wars original trilogy, so I can go back and feel that magic again. Or a cinematic release would yeah. be lovely. Come on, Disney. Probably watch The Force Awakens then, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's maybe why I love the <laughs> sequel trilogy so much, is because they are just uncompromised. You know, they're there, and yeah. it's the experience the director and editor and everyone else wanted you to have. And it's just it's amazing when that happens. Isn't I it? like when that happens. There's probably a, there's probably a trilogy that uh, is the opposite of everything we've spoken about right now and should have only just been one movie. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, The Matrix. The Matrix. Yeah. I was I remember watching that and uh, when it finished, I, I turned to my mate and went, oh, what an amazing film. And uh, my mate went, yeah, I can't wait for the sequel. <laughs> Sorry, what? Sorry, shut what? I can only remember being so fucking stoked about that. In 2003, to be fair, I was young enough. I was 15 years old and it was basically the Matrix and Lord of the Rings year because 2003 had Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, both films came out in a year, Um, Enter the Matrix, the video game, Mm. the Matrix comic books, the Animatrix. I was just so fucking into all of it. I was so deeply into all that. And Return of the King. (laughs) Surprisingly prescient from the whatever year old me I was when The Mm. Matrix came out. I just knew it was a perfect standalone film and didn't need anything else. <laughs> yeah. Not a not a fan in most ways of those other two movies, yeah. Paul. I remember, I'm, I'm, but they're, they're surprisingly well reviewed. Yeah, relatively. I think Revolutions is the only one low enough for us to touch. Yeah, but um, yeah, it might be worth getting to at some point just to revisit one day. the whole thing. Yeah. Anywho, other trilogies that are worth mentioning: How to Train Your Dragon, really great, uh, entertaining cool. throughout. Back to perfect. the Future, also yes. really great. Again, one of those films that I saw late and just didn't form. A big part of myself growing up, but yeah. I, I see why I, they're great. I like those a lot. John Wick, yes, soon to not be a trilogy, but it's but really fucking good. Suck my dick. <laughs> the Orphic trilogy by John Cocteau. <laughs> <laughs> okay, really good. I've only seen those recently, but yeah, I really imaginative, fun reimaginings of the Orphic myth. Ah, oh, brilliant. Hiroshi and Agaki's Samurai trilogy. <laughs> Worth checking out just to see um, to see Toshio Mifune um, playing a badass samurai in a Japanese legend. Beautiful. Um, yeah. Really good stuff. And they're quite funny in places. Uh, Trois Couleurs. Trois Couleurs. Yeah, very good uh, thematic <laughs> trilogy there. Just um, just touching on all as- three separate aspects of sort of human experience. Yeah. In, in parts touching, in parts kookily comedic and a yeah. very Polish, uh, Eastern European sense, yeah. which I remember just really enjoying when when I first saw it. And then just some, some really gorgeous moments of intimacy there. Yeah. Yeah, God. It's very good. Speaking yeah. of uh, moments, speaking of intense moments of intimacy, the Bourne trilogy. Fuck yeah. Really good films. The the end of the third one, I always ima- felt a bit, oh. But uh, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed... He turns out to be alive, or just the anticlimax of it being a conversation with a guy. Yeah. <laughs> he chose this all along. Oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. God, he's got long arms, that man. <laughs> um, kind of, kind of uh, revolutionary action filmmaking yeah. at the time. And still, uh, that that those action sequences work. A lot of the imitations of it are somewhat yeah. hard to watch, but um, yeah, I think those still work. Evil Dead trilogy. Yes. Yeah, so uh, well, how did you know yeah. that was the next one on the list? Fuck, that was eerie. I could, could see it reflected on your eyes. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Evil Dead, <laughs> Evil Dead trilogy really playful. The first one I still say is legitimately frightening because I saw it when I was ten and it scared the shit out of me. 
But yeah, Evil Dead 2 and, and 3, changed much really, really great horror comedy. <laughs> yeah, just fantastic. Yeah. And finally, I guess Die Hard. I always used to yeah. he- hold that Vengeance was great, Die Hard of a Vengeance. Mm. I rewatched it this year. Yeah. And you can tell that the screenwriter, Stephen E. D'Souza, the amazing mm. writer, uh, director of Street Fighter, has moved yeah. on. It feels like someone trying to write a Die Hard movie. There are a couple of lines in there that's like, ooh, I see where you were going with that. That's for, like a tr- that's like a trailer line. <laughs> But it's still really fun because principally because Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson are so great together. Yeah. On honestly, Die Hard is one of my favorite films of all time. The, yeah. The second and third it just never really hit the same chord for me. I mean, you couldn't. It's just. What do you call me? Yeah. I, I have a lot of affection for the second one. <laughs> I always watch that around Christmas. It's just. But it's like it's like a cozy blanket, you know. It's not necessarily a great film. Um. Neither of us have seen. I think I'm right in saying any entry in the before trilogy, Richard Linklater's. Or the Apu trilogy, one of the best um, best regarded Indian film sequences of all time. No. So mm. those aren't here, but probably should be. Yeah. It's a shame, but we've got good stuff. We've got good stuff, guys. One, just one, count them. One of the trilogies in our top ten um, has a fourth entry. So, but we're, st- we're counting it. We'll talk more about it when we get to it, but we're counting it because it does, there's a good amount of time between the third and fourth entries and i think it still really works well as a trilogy i th- I think so all right let's get on with it yeah fucking hell yeah sure so number 10 by popular demand is uh the trilogy that Lars von trier wrote from his bed or something it's uh <laughs> yeah, it's his depression trilogy which we've, which we've touched on briefly looking at antichrist uh also includes yep. melancholia and uh nymphomaniac volumes one and two yes correct cool uh just double checking there i'm tired <laughs> what star is that the red one i don't know What's going on, Justine? It's a planet that has been hiding behind the sun. Now it passes by us. I just have one thing to say. Enjoy it while it lasts. I myself hate marriages. Gabby, please. Is everyone in your family start grieving mad? I smile and I smile and I smile. You're lying to all of us. I'm not really happy. They strike a similar tone, very, uh, can mm. seem very misanthropic and uh, very hard going at times. Um, Certainly. Notably, just like really incredible performances, I'm sure you'd agree. Um, mostly oh, yeah. from uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg. Gainsbourg? And, uh, Philip Dafoe's enormous penis. Um, <laughs> but also uh, Kirsten Dunst in. Um, yeah, Kirsten Dunst. In Melancholia, she's fucking amazing. And Stella Skarsgård is almost yeah. always around to give a heartbreaking performance of some kind. Yeah, so we've got Melancholia, the, the, the knowledge. Of Kirsten Dunn's character that the no of Charlotte Gaines, Boah. Kirsten Dunn's character that the world is about to end and yeah. like, life losing all meaning. Uh, mm. uh, Antichrist, you've been through the like, grieving and, and guilt, and yep. uh, and then Nymphomaniac, the sort of again just guilt, like the guilt of a woman for <laughs> for mm. the, the sort of the sexual like escapades of Nymphomaniac. <laughs> the horrible thing she's done, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the horrible things she did. <laughs> yeah, and uh, for me, they just strike. It's it's like chords and shades throughout these these films. The things yeah. I remember are the, the visceral feelings that I have watching these these really difficult subjects explored yeah. so gratuitously. Yeah, I, I always found that, and I found I was really frightened actually when I heard of Nymphomaniac because Antichrist is Lars von Trier looking at nature and is relatively terrifying in that way that I really can get behind. Then yeah. in the second one, Melancholia, he's looking at kind of the meaninglessness of life. And comes yeah. to similar conclusions that I, like, early 20s me had. So the idea mm. of Lars von Trier was going to have a look, a frank look at sexuality and all the shortcomings we can relate to. That, that <laughs> really fucking frightened me. And I was really reluctant to watch that fucking movie. Um, 
And I think I ended up doing it because you said you had started it and I had it on my to watch pile. And so I was like, ah, uh, oh, well, at least I'll company. And I sort of watched it as well. <laughs> and we were backing for back yeah. and forthing as we were watching it. But yeah, yeah, it's, it's not one I've gone back to. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a time consuming effort, but it's one of those things that didn't feel its yeah. length. It's five hours. Oh, no, no, no. Movie, you know, it's... no, not because of the length, because of just how affecting yeah. it is. This idea of, yeah. um, Oh, all of these constructs and um, aspects of society we put up, that's ah, meaningless compared to fucking. Most <laughs> I mean, people you know. will literally abandon their own children if there's a chance of a good fuck. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to not fuck. <laughs> I know, I struggle with that every day. But... <laughs> <laughs> very well made, just really well yeah. acted to boot. They are, and it's just shades of exploring the same idea, this idea of there being a horrible hollowness within people that just makes them utterly incapable of interacting. And Melancholia, uh, uh, Antichrist is my favourite entry, but Melancholia is a close second and was my favourite film of that year. I really love the way that it's split into two halves, and in the first half, Kirsten Dunst is the alien. She's living in everybody else's world, and, you know, she's this depressive character who cannot engage yeah. or participate in the rituals that everyone else has. And yeah. in the second part, everyone else has to exist in her world, because the certainty of death suddenly becomes much more immediate, and no one else really knows how to deal with it, whereas she has been dealing with it her whole life, and now mm. they're the ones who are alien in this yeah. horrible world of imminent death. And, yeah, I found that really affecting. Yeah, absolutely. My name is Joe. Hi, Joe. And I'm a nymphomaniac. Sex addict. We say sex addict. I know that. What? Would it be all right if I show the children the whoring bed? I've never met a bad human being. Well, you have now. Number nine, George A. Ramiro's Trilogy of the Dead. Cool. Well, where'd you start? Probably at the beginning. By now, there were no more screams. I realized that I was alone with 50 or 60 of those things just standing there staring at me. I, I started to drive. I just plowed right through them. They didn't move, they didn't run, or just stood there staring at me. They scattered through the air like bugs. That's Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead, released in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and each one kind of reflecting or capturing anxieties at the time. <laughs> Oh, that's 20 seconds. <laughs> Night of the Living Dead has this kind of... Um, if people have seen it as a sort of communist allegory, you know, you never know who's going to turn into a dead one next and your neighbours turning into sort of soulless, you know, anxieties around communism and mm. the consumer. But I don't know if that quite tracks. But the second one is undeniably about consumerism, um, mm. quite literally. And the idea of the zombies, you know, being just people going about their ordinary commercial capitalist mm. lives without really thinking, just wandering back and forth from the mall in order yeah. to consume things. And then the third one is just this brilliant satire of Reagan style military politics. Um, it's set entirely within. So to briefly do plots, it's just about people getting stuck inside of a thing whilst there are zombies outside. Yeah. In the first one, it's a house and it's all about the family dynamic. I think if it's yeah. about anything, you know, rather than communism, it's about the destruction of the family unit kind of through mm. extraordinary circumstances and the way in which people will ultimately cause their own downfall through an inability yeah. to communicate with each other. Mm. And then Dawn of the... Uh, yeah, Dawn of the Dead... 
you've got them stuck in a shopping mall and it's about how ultimately hollow and unsatisfying the various um yeah sort of pleasures offered by capitalism can be because you know after a couple of weeks of just holy shit we could do anything it's like oh we can actually do nothing in here yeah and then finally in dawn of uh day of the dead it's set inside of a military complex where they're trying to find a cure for zombieism and um it's about how kind of the military who are ostensibly just offering security at this facility ultimately end up taking over with anti-intellectualist kind of dogma it's not Mm. subtle none of this is subtle but it's very interesting and it's very fucking entertaining zombie zombie movies are a very good vehicle for exploring that kind of thing i think yeah definitely and just the action is really great the characters are almost always really fun and it's just yeah and also it just has the trappings of horror movies that were made in the 60s 70s and 80s which Mm. just makes it incredibly entertaining this is a great big 14 mile tombstone with an epitaph on it that nobody gonna bother to read now here you come, here you come, with a whole new set of charts and graphs and records. What you gonna do? Bury them down here with all the other relics of what once was? Next up at number eight is Ingmar Bergman's Faith Trilogy, or more dramatically titled, The Silence of God Trilogy. Ingmar Bergman, who has captured the imagination of the world, now brings us his latest triumph of the cinematic art. Through a Glass Darkly, his most powerful, perceptive, and most satisfying motion picture, starring Gunnar Bjornstrand, from the distinguished cast of The Seventh Seal and the Magician as the father. Intellectual, detached, torn between love for his daughter and a writer's curiosity to watch and observe her degradation, stunned and horrified with the impact of his own self-indulgence. Just to be clear, I haven't seen this or much of uh, the Dead trilogy either, so... uh... (laughs) I showed you Dawn uh, when we were doing our favourite films of all time, but yeah, the yeah. Faith Trilogy is three films, again, that were retrospectively referred to as a trilogy by Bergman and other critics, um, yeah. uh, although Bergman did also rescind that particular opinion, but hey, he's a complicated eh, and difficult man. He's very much the last one tree of his time. He'd be flattered with that comparison. <laughs> the, the trilogy is Through a Glass, Through a Glass Darkly, Winter's Light, and The Silence. Mm. Uh, Through a Glass Darkly is about a woman returning from a, a mental institution where she has experienced some form of um, schizophrenic episode. Mm. And she returns home and starts having delusions, uh, potentially caused by her frosty relationship with her father, in which she believes God is speaking to her from behind the walls. Mm. And it's about the various family members around her kind of dealing or exploiting that in their own ways Mm. and the sort of coldness between the characters who are meant to be a family. Uh, The second film, Winter's Light, is about a priest who is losing faith. Mm. He is losing faith and he has a parishioner who has become suicidal because of the state of the world, specifically the atomic threat. Um, Trying to counsel him, this um, suicidal person ends up killing themselves and it's about the priest trying to rectify how unhelpful their advice may have been and what it and maybe even their own suicide so i think it's definitely an influence on first reformed um but a very interesting film as well and then the third and final film in the franchise is the silence which is about two sisters one of whom is very uh reserved bookish and uh sort of uh, academic type Mm. and hates being touched and the other of whom is a uh, kind of oversexed very kind of overt passionate kind of person who wants nothing more than to achieve intimacy with other people and she's the Mm. one who has a kid and they're okay. traveling together by train through a country, and they end up holed up in a hotel, a very strange hotel where they encounter odd sort of Lynchian characters and their own imaginings. So, I hate that hotel. What Bergman? <laughs> it's a. I've been there several times. It's um. I mean, the waffles are good. So, but the reason it's still open. The exis- 
<laughs> but the uh, existential nightmares are just not worth the extra price. <laughs> it, it's about Bergman coming back to the same theme, which is his own relationship with God, which is very, very obviously his actually his relationship with his incredibly strict Luther, Lutheran pe- um, father, mm. who was a Lutheran minister and who also... Um, who also was some sort of uh, royal advisor of some sorts. He was a very prominent Christian man, and he was also extraordinarily strict, and it was very difficult for Bergman to sort of internalize this incredibly holy person who's very well respected by his community, who also then comes home and locks him in a cupboard with a monster, he said, who eats children's feet. So... I see. Yeah, he wasn't a great dad. So the films are about him trying to rectify his relationship with God and his relationship with his father. In the first film, we see that it's the coldness of the father that leads to this kind of madness that leads a character to believe God is this horrible spider monster that wants to mm. molest her and penetrate her. And ultimately, that film concludes that maybe God is love and that love is God. But Bergman eventually came to the conclusion that that was a bit of an anticlimax and so directly challenges it in his next film, Winter Light, in which that hmm. is seen as not enough. Okay. It's not enough that God might be love or um, vice versa. And maybe there is no God, but there is still value within the ritual of it, because okay. maybe that's all we have. But then he explores that idea, that kind of nihilistic <laughs> idea, in the third and final film, The Silence, where there is no theology whatsoever. God is never mentioned. But that's the point. It's a film about his absence, okay. in which only human love exists. And it's a film that examines and interrogates and kind of tears apart this notion of human love as this hugely imperfect thing. So, and that really represents the transition for Bergman from what I like to refer to as his fantastical period in the 1960s into his much bleaker period in the 1970s, where <laughs> essentially all his films are just about how much married couples often hate the fuck hate each other with a fiery fucking passion. Was that when Fanny Alexander get- was made? Uh, Fanny Alexander was actually made late on into that period and is a late emergent um, example of his fanta- fantastical kind of period, uh, I think. Okay. It's more in keeping with stuff like Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries, yeah, okay. but does still have some really fucking miserable stuff in it. Um, <laughs> sure does. It's kind of like David Copperfield, um, Fanny and Alexander, I guess, in its structure, mm. at least the first part of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there about guilt and the Godhead and all that. Yeah, beautiful. So, Aside from being a really interesting examination of Bergman's own faith, it's also just a really gorgeous film, entirely shot by Sven Nykvist, um, Bergman's frequent collaborator. Mm. Black and white photography that is just iconic and really demonstrates what you can do with a monochrome palette. The lighting is just a character in and of itself. It's, um, to quote Ebert, actually. And yeah, the the framing, just everything about it is just stunning it's a really fantastic series to watch even if it is a bit bleak well sometimes that's okay you know sometimes we'll just <laughs> allow it even if it's a bit yeah. meh. sometimes it's it's yeah and to be honest that's why i find bergman's fantastical period from uh pretty much from uh what was the one before the seventh seal um smiles of a summer night through mm. to um just about shame shame <laughs> i think is where the um the transition takes hold because shame is yeah. about a fictional war and a couple sort yeah. of stuck in a, a war that's um, entirely fictional and there's sort of terrible things that happen to them. So it's still kind of fantasy, but it's definitely about how much this couple fucking hate each other. <laughs> and eventually that becomes his sole focus. And um, those films, I don't know when I'm going to watch scenes from a marriage again. I probably will. But um, I find Back to his... back with Nymphomaniac just before you kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I find his stuff about interrogating familial relationships a bit more hard to swallow than his stuff about tackling the yeah. pointlessness of being. <laughs> I don't know why. That's not great, right? <laughs> One should be easier. Maybe you don't well, love your dad. Oh, I don't want to we... deal with that. Maybe you're going to die and it's meaningless. Yeah, okay. Different strokes, Paul. You know. <laughs> 
Let's have more of that. <laughs> That's me so, done talking about Bergman forever now. Wow, you did promise. Never again. I'm, I'm woefully under Bergman and I, I'll work on it as of now. Few films in the history of the cinema have created the stir and controversy this film has raised by giving a long, searing look into the mute hearts of those who indulge their carnal fancies. The silence. Number seven. Uh, yeah. Come out of Scorsese, you wonderful man. Um, <laughs> with with a with a passioned uh, plea and discussion because I we're just... going to talk about <laughs> Captain America. How do you feel? I just got done talking about Bergman, your favourite. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> go on. They're both art. They're both art, guys. They are. They are actually both art, and uh, yeah. I mean that's why Captain America is in the top ten because it's transcended just. I mean, four minutes is four minutes is not enough to get into this, but Marvel is as <laughs> successful as Marvel is because it transcends just being a comic book movie. If it helps, um, I haven't it, started. I forgot to start the timer, so that's just starting now. Okay, perfect. Um, we'll just tag this on, tag this on to the end of the Bergman discussion. Um, yeah, it, it it does it transcends a lot of that, and I think Captain America is just a very, it's at heart a very simple story with mm. with a huge you know played out against a huge ever changing backdrop. Yeah. Um, I think of of all of them, C- Captain America is my favorite Avenger. I think it's just a very yeah. simple character with a very simple message, and it doesn't stray into. It's not a pro American character. It's it's just no. about the the character himself and his loyalty and his values yeah each film questions it in a different way and shapes him yeah uh, to become you know to become the the hero he ends up being the one who uh spoilers 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 ends up getting thor's hammer in avengers <laughs> Endgame. And, yeah uh so the, the first one is him as this this skinny little guy who earns the right to get the super serum then like has to learn how to continue to earn it now he's also got you know he, he's got the, the strength and the body and everything yeah and the, the second is then being uh, alive in this different time um and having to either compromise his morals against this mm. new political geopolitical backdrop or yeah. to or, or to see you know hit, to see the benefit of his experience and mm. where he fits into all of this and how he can change things for the better and the third one is is just the, just a classic test of these these morals yeah. um against another for one thing, another Marvel character who has spent three movies shaping his own moral code. Yeah, and that's my favourite thing about that movie is that they kind of... Because Iron Man 2 didn't happen. We can all agree on that. So, <laughs> yeah. really, Civil War is like the third movie in both franchises because they represent mm. the height of or the extent of both characters' arc, which is to kind of go yeah. inverse to each other. If you think of yeah. Captain America, he starts off as this kind of all-American chap who wants to do nothing but serve his country, and when he gets to World War II, which is a very clear-cut conflict, he finds that his time is being wasted by the government and that he has to go off-book yeah. in order to actually try and help the people around him. So already he's questioning authority. And the Avengers, he goes into yeah. it as someone who still vaguely speaking believes in authority, but Tony Stark convinces him otherwise, you know, due to the duplicitous nature of um, Nick Fury. Then in the second yeah. film, he's still serving the government, albeit somewhat um, uh, suspiciously, mm. has his trust betrayed yet again and finds out he's actually in the employ of his old enemy, therefore, mm. therefore mm. making the point clearly that sometimes the government structures you serve can end up becoming the villains. And then, yeah, in the third and final film, he ends up breaking away from all government authorities and becomes a fugitive. Yeah. Whilst Tony Stark has basically gone from a fugitive to government lackey in an, his own entirely convincing way, so yeah, yeah, it's very it's massively done, and uh, mm. I think the third 
I would say the third is the best um, of the mm. three, in spite of um, like the source of like <laughs> yeah, the biggest argument we ever have about movies is the fact yeah. that I I think that the the Avengers facing off against one another is a completely redundant scene, and uh, you think the opposite of that. And <laughs> well, I um, really like it. Yeah, it, it's fun to see that sort of play out. It's not necessarily the most crucial part of the film, and I'm fucking thrilled with the actual climax of yeah. Captain America and Iron Man actually fighting over. Um, That's what you, you want know, to see, circumstance. Yeah, and, and it's so. it's. Yeah, great to contrast that with Bat- Superman versus Batman, where it's just yeah. a, a contrivance that has them fighting. This is you uh, know, real established law that has given them a reason to fight each other. Yeah. And it oh, I didn't realize your to... na- mum's name wasn't Martha. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I'll yeah. go on. Like, it's, it's, it's fantastic, and it speaks to so much about... Um, it's just... just of human experience i think and it, i, I stammered before getting that out because it felt weird to say that about comic book movies but it's here in mm. the top 10 for a reason um yeah. it's also just fucking incredible action and just yeah excellent performances oh, and chris evans is just perfect captain america yeah i mean the winter soldier probably has the best action sequences in marvel you know yeah. it's just russo brother directed and it's just oh, God. utterly fantastic that freeway sequence yeah it's just and the boat sequence are just two of the best scenes in, the, in the chase in civil war and and the the, yeah. the apartment fight when they're just fighting their way downstairs i love the, that yeah cops is just so well done and it's so yeah it's so frenetic and con- contained at the same time it's just yeah fucking thrilling it's got an aesthetic that i think is entirely different to marvel whereas all the others are sort of getting more bright and more colorful <clears> the yeah. captain america trilogy was just always very dour and very mm. um well that's it i remember watching great. going back to number two i think and going he's mm. just fucking killing these people he's <laughs> just breaking their bodies <laughs> with a shield yeah yeah it's, um, a, it's just a basic kind of seven i mean the reason they got robert redford in aside from the fact you should always try and do that is that it is basically three days of the condor starring captain america and it's brilliant yeah. for that well and place in the top 10 yeah he's my friend so was i stay down final warning i could do this all day number six oi well Number six. This is this is a real big trilogy for me in my formative years. Um, this is Alejandro Inarritu's death trilogy. Take it easy. My husband and my little girls are dead, and I'm supposed to take it easy. I can't just go on with my life. Who are you? Which is uh, to say, Amores Peros. Twenty One Grams and Babel. Yeah. Uh, ooh, which one did I see first? I think it might have been. I think actually it was Amoris Amoris Peros. It was. Um... I think it was Grams for me. Uh, okay, cool. I, f- I feel like he's m- more out on a limb with Twenty One Grams. There's just some mm. something about that story with Naomi Watts and, and Sean Penn and um, Benicio del Toro. Benicio del Toro. Yeah. Yeah. Playing the father. Um, the, yeah. The guy. God, such a fraught story about the yeah the guy who um who runs over runs over a man and then ends up getting his heart. Is that it? No, it's um, not it. <laughs> no, sure. <laughs> Sean, no, sorry. Sean, Sean Penn is the driver, and he he kills. Um, he runs over Benicio del Toro, and oh, no, nope. yeah, that's it. No, we it's not this that. up. No, it's it's some other guy, isn't it? It's the dad, and um, Benicio. He just gets run over the dad, and then Benicio del Toro did the uh, running Benicio, over, and then helps Benicio, Naomi Watts find Sean Penn, who now has the husband's heart. That's it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Or <laughs> does Sean Penn help Naomi Watts find Benicio del Toro? <laughs> I, I think sean penn shows up after no 
We'll cut this. It's great. Sean, Sean Penn is saved when Benicia <laughs> yes, del Toro he, runs Sean over Penn Naomi Watts' husband. Gets the heart. Yeah, he definitely yeah. gets the heart. I remember it. He but... finds Naomi Watts and and says, "Hey, thanks." And and she sort of helps stricken with him, stricken with grief. Find the driver and, who is Benicio del Toro. Yep. That's yeah. It. Yeah. There's vengeance there. There's grieving <laughs> and b- being unable to let you know unable to let go of any of that but these three people who are you know Benicio del Toro's character is also trying to reform and and, and trying to get over what he's done um but you have these three it reminds me a lot of no no country for old men and you've just got these mm. f- just different forces working against each other and yeah. I just really didn't want any of them to meet because it could only <laughs> spell disaster it's such a difficult film and Amoris yeah. Peros has is just full of that as well. It's just mm. it's my introduction to Gal Garcia Bernal, which was oh, um, yeah. a wonderful few years um, as a te- mm. as a teenager. He was really big for a while there, um, yeah. and really you know I really enjoyed seeing him again in Babel. Um, yeah, but just. I feel like a good way of summing up this trilogy is just the heart wants what the heart wants, but you're probably not going to get it because other people want <laughs> other shit as well. And, no. and and it's just full of people's best laid plans just coming to nothing. Yeah. Um, whether it's just getting out of a poor part of um of Mexico or uh, you know, you know and just having having dreams or aspirations come to naught or Babel, just the the story of of several people who just don't know how to communicate to one another. Tower of yeah. Babel is quite quite clever when you think about it. Oh, you know which which you know one one of them is uh, Gael Garcia Bernal and um, uh, Nanny taking their kids, like, taking oh, yeah, Brad Pitt and Kate Blanchett's kids across the border and getting caught up in a border dispute. Whilst Kate Blanchett and Brad Pitt are in is either Morocco or some or Afghanistan or Iran or somewhere like that. Mm. That they're, they're a fractured couple who just can't communicate anymore. One of them gets hit by a bullet that two kids in the hills yep. are firing and playing with, and and there's also that deaf girl in Japan who um, mm. is just in this world of city of lights, just completely just struggling to find any connections, and yeah. you know, has this really strange relationship with his with her father. Mm. Um, it's it's just people who are just trying to do the best they can do and just fucking it up constantly, and yeah. just 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 not having any idea what they're doing but just going with going with it basically Mm. and it makes for these these three fraught films that are just so heartfelt and so difficult by dint of it being about humans but there's so much heart behind all of them and incredible soundtracks really beautiful cinematography as well and yeah i I think this is these are the films that terence malick should have been making when he tried (laughs) when he did tree of life and then you know every other film after that i think Mm. this is the kind of feel that I feel he was going for. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I really, I remember Amaros Peros was showing me a side of Mexico that I hadn't considered or really thought about before. Yeah. You know, by be- giving such an exhaustive picture of the whole place. So, or a much wider picture than I was used to anyway. So, yeah. That cool. is really great films. Number five, Sergio Leone's Dollar Trilogy. You'll pay all right, you'll be strung up. Who are you? Don't fire a shot. I'm John Baxter. Sheriff. Yeah, well, if you're the sheriff, you better get these men on the ground. If there is an exponent out there of sort of popularist pure cinema, it's got to be Sergio Leone. He's just Mm. got that that touch where he makes movies that are uniquely and entirely cinematic whilst also being wholly entertaining. And the Dollar Trilogy consisting of A Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, and The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly yeah. are just his best, well, maybe his best work. Once Upon a Time in the West is also fucking amazing. But um, mm. a lot of his great stuff is in there. I saw the trilogy as a sort of all-day event 
um, a little while ago and huh? was just absolutely stunned by every entry. The first one sees a stranger rocking up in town, um, and it's essentially the plot to Sanjiro to the extent that Kira Kurosawa sued him for it. But um, <laughs> he shows up in town and uh, gets caught up in a rivalry between two families and ends up kind of becoming a bit of a wild card between the two, playing them off against each other. Hmm. And um, yeah. But his allegiances are unclear. And yet he does have a oh. good heart. Maybe. That can't happen. But he can also shoot people really, really well. Oh, good. Really great. The second film, A Few Dollars More, is this kind of weird bank heist slash sting operation where two people who have a grudge against this um, famous bank thief end up sort of... Well, mm. Clint Eastwood ends up joining his gang and sort of trying to infiltrate it and um, get himself alone with uh, the gang leader whilst um, sort of being spurred on by um <laughs> spurred spurred on by um <laughs> Lee Van Cleef. Yeah. Lee Van Cleef, the sort of grieving father who's um I think his wife has been killed by by the bank robber if I remember correctly. That's not that's not oh. on. It's not on. You can't be doing that, Lee Van um, people's wives. That's somebody's that. mother. <laughs> it's somebody's probably. Um and then yeah, the good, the bad and the ugly, the one I know the best, the one I've seen the most, and it's just yeah, one of my favorite sure. films of all time of utterly stunning chase in order to find gold across sort of civil war torn America mm-hmm. between three disparate characters who occasionally work together more frequently work against each other and just end up in this kind of episodic adventure where they keep running into these interesting characters and mm. brilliant scenarios and oh man all three films there's stunning action sequences just beautifully filmed where mm. really Beyond the choreography, it's what the camera is going to do that makes them yeah. thrilling. And Ennio Morricone's completely gorgeous soundtrack, really stunning. The yeah, scope there's just as well. The scope of, of, the the scope of it, the, the sheer scale of just the American West yeah. as photographed largely in Spain. Um. <laughs> Pangea is all, is all one. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there. you know. Actually, yeah. Pangea was the closest bit to being in America. Not the yeah. West, though. But um, <laughs> you get the idea. And... <laughs> Yeah, it's just stunning cinematography and a real just sort of... I mean, this is practically film school if you want to uh, direct compelling cinema. Mm. Just watch these movies, see the way he composes his shots, blocks his actors, and just uses the music as well. He often played music on set in order to get the pacing right. Uh, And you can tell because it just... It's just a a, one of the best collaborations between sight and sound you'll ever see. Beautiful. All right, do you want to introduce the next one? Yeah, sure. Vengeance. Vengeance. It will be mine. Go on, prove it. So this is uh this is the the Korean Vengeance trilogy is the full name used by no wait, except for wait, me. Wait, wait, wait. Which Korea, mate? East. East Korea. Oh, I love East Korea. I like the way they've I like the way they've largely kept themselves out of the news. <laughs> or history. They're just looking around um, at North and South Korea like, god, go on a bit, don't they? <laughs> yeah, bloody hell. It's like the husband. Oh, anyway. It's like the sort of um the partner, husband or wife of the people of the one of the people having a massive argument. <laughs> yeah, anyway, no. make myself scarce. Yeah. yeah ooh. Anyway, <laughs> back to back to our Bamsung phones. And, uh, <laughs> weird here, but it works. <laughs> It's a weird backwards land, but I like it. <laughs> this is Director Parks. 
uh, Vengeance Trilogy, starring mostly Mintic Choi, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> but it also has some interesting things, uh, interesting people too. Yeah. Basically, it's um, three films mm. about uh, three people, or is it four or five, oh. depending on the story. I mean, the first what, one. What do we even know? Sympathy. Well, so it's Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, yeah. and Lady Vengeance. And yeah, yes. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance has many vengeances. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful story. <laughs> Basically, a deaf man in a desperate bid to get a kidney for his sister, I believe, um, yeah. kidnaps his boss's daughter um, so that he can sort of blackmail, uh, get money that he can then use to buy a kidney. Yeah. Um, and it just, everything about it goes wrong and ends up with... As it's want to. As it's want to, and just characters working against each other and um, all beautifully stylized as well. And then, yeah. yeah, old boy, as we've covered before, is about a man who is imprisoned for 15 years and then escapes and is given five days to find out why he was imprisoned and seek revenge against his inca- his capturer, his captor. Yes. Yes. And then Lady Vengeance um, is about a woman who goes to prison on behalf of her lover, I think, slash boss, yeah. uh, Minsik Joik. Um, yeah. <laughs> she goes, oh goes to prison for a child that he has killed. And then gets out and starts plotting her vengeance against him and decides to involve yeah. the parents of some of those children as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember that being the most straightforward of the three. Yes, it probably is. Um, <laughs> which is not, not a criticism. No, um, he's, it's but like I he's remember honing it, in, in on Enjoying the idea. it for its directness. Yeah, if the first one is a maze and, you know, old boy yeah. is this beautiful kind of labyrinth, then the, the third one is very much this just pure idea of vengeance getting torn apart. And there's a real progression in the endings there. I remember mm. Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance ending with a whimper. Yeah. It's, it's a very much a, oh, shit. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, it's like, God, that went wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Old Boy has this grand velvety ending of, mm. of blood and regret and tears. And, <laughs> and, and then Lady Vengeance is just, hmm, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and... The first one is very much a sense of, oh, God, maybe this was all inevitable. The second one was, oh, God, what have they got left? What can he be? Yeah. And the third one is just, oh, that's nice. Yeah, I did it. Yeah. <laughs> good. Yeah, just exploring exploring different aspects of vengeance mm. and very different feels to mm. each of the movies as well. You know, the the if, if you're a, a, a Park Chan-wook enthusiast, you'll you'll see the Hallmark directing be. style. But I'd, yeah, but I don't think he I don't think he's gone out and made very obviously the same film three times either. It's, no. it's very, very different in many ways. They get and... gradually more stylistic, if you think about it, with the first film being mm. a somewhat stark, but all, all, very framed. Static cameras yeah. is what I remember. Yeah, static cameras and the sort of... Uh, the main thing I remember is him like uh, taking out one of the um, the kidney... The organ dealers, and he just sort of yeah. has a screwdriver in his neck. So, yeah, he's always had that sort of stylistic concern. And then the second film is yeah. obviously stunning cinematography and just this beautiful kind of color palette. And then the Best third film, film the third film is very much like Wes Anderson's Fantastic Mr. Fox. It's the one where he just <laughs> he nails in on yeah. that style. You know, it's just like, yeah, oh, okay, definitely. this is what you're up to now. And he hasn't stuck rigidly to that. I'd say Handmaiden is closer to Old Boy than Lady Vengeance, but it's definitely where he found. Oh, yeah. that's what the uh, the Park Chan Wook look is. The the thing I remember most about Sympathy is. The the lake scene. I can't remember. Yeah, I can't remember who it is again. Just terrible memory. But somebody's dispatched in a lake by having his tendons cut. Yeah, right at the end. Si- it plays out to silence, and yeah. it's it's a long played out scene, and just it just makes it just makes me think of the pointlessness and insignificance of life. <laughs> um, There's always that. 
which is which is definitely what that film is to me. Yeah. Um, they they they're all just f- fucking hilarious and oh yeah, and, and dark tense and upsetting mm. and just everything with that 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 is the trademark part. Chan Wook, I think, is is being able to be darkly funny yeah. and and also just terribly distressing at the same time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Number three, and it's Pixar's Toy Story trilogy. Buzz Lightyear mission log, start at 4072. My ship has run off course en route to Sector 12. I've crash landed on a strange planet, and there seems to be no sign of intelligent life anywhere. Hello? Oh, yeah! Ah! Whoa! Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Did I frighten you? Didn't mean to. Sorry, howdy. My name is Woody, and this is Andy's room. That's all I wanted to say. And this is the one that has its belated fourth entry, but really, it works so well as a trilogy. The first film... Yeah. The first film has... Um, it's about toys. Who are, you've got to fucking know what Toy Story's about. Come on. <laughs> yeah, fucking come on. Who are you? What are you listening to this for if you haven't watched Toy Stories 1 through 3? At the very least. <laughs> it's about a better world in which toys are sentient. It's actually slightly better than this. Um, toys are sentient, <laughs> but hide from their owners. Um, they're sentience for some reason. And <laughs> yeah, it's about a new toy getting brought in and shaking up the status quo in the original Toy Story. Mm. And then it's about Woody getting captured by a collector and being convinced that uh, the museum life is the life for him rather than having a child. Um, mm. And the third movie is about moving on. Yeah, what happens when a relationship ends. And I think that's what's most special about this trilogy is that each one packages a really difficult message for kids about the nature of mm. life and specifically the nature of love. And I think this is something that was picked mm. up in the fourth one as well, which is much, much more overtly about parents learning to let go of their kids. Uh, this is mm. the first three play out as more about friendship, or I always took it as romantic relationships. And that might sound that might sound creepy, the idea of this the relationship between Woody and Andy being one that is you know pseudo uh, romantic or even sexual. But mm. it's about the way in which you manage relationships in your life. Um, if the first yeah. film is about the idea that firstly, jealousy, you know there's a, there's enough room for all of us, which what a fantastic message there, <laughs> you know, don't be jealous yeah. you know, you mean more to the people around you than you think, but then also, simultaneously yeah. from Buzz Lightyear's perspective you can't be what mm. you want to be your ambition, your idea of self is incorrect and you can't be that but mm. what you are is special and means a lot to someone mm. and you should try and take comfort and joy in that and in being that and yeah being what you can be to the people around you that's gorgeous yeah um and a really tough counter argument to this whole you know typical kids thing you can be anything <laughs> yeah slight randian which individual you can't i'm afraid <laughs> you might not be but you're still great yeah. second film yeah. oh your relationship will probably come to an end you know, Jessie's song is such a powerful song about that. When she loved me, mm. it's just oh man, that always makes yeah. me cry. But it's about that. It's about your relationships will probably come to an end. That's gonna happen. Um, but it doesn't mean those relationships are meaningless or worthless. Quite the yeah. opposite. Doing the equivalent of sealing yourself up in a museum, i.e., embracing a life of solitude, is not the way to go. Um, yeah. you've got to just uh, put yourself out there, accept the heartbreak. And it'll be fun while it lasts, which I think is exactly what Woody says at the end of that movie. Yeah. Third movie, once mm. it's finished, once it's all over, you can move on and find a new person. Yeah. You can, yeah, allow yourself to f- feel it again. And 
that story then gets picked up in the fourth one where it's um eventually it's okay so well. to just be on your own and sort of find your own way and not yeah you know not necessarily have to be there for yet another person and it's just yeah gorgeous i've wept i, I think maybe not on the first one i can't remember i was too every young. day since <laughs> every day since then but certainly the second and third had me in tears at various points jesse song mm. and the the bit in the in- the furnace where they all grab each other's hands and embrace the idea of the end uh, i mean jesus christ that's one of the toughest moments they've ever put in a kid's <laughs> film i was worse than a serbian film <laughs> i was what 22 when i saw that and it fucking devastated yeah. me I was a cynical te- old 22-year-old te- man. <laughs> I welled up watching three, four. <laughs> I I blubbered. I couldn't talk for about 15 minutes after the no. film because if I did, I, I, I'd just go... <laughs> I haven't cried that much since I, I watched Big Fish Drunk. <laughs> Love it. Trilogies. Or um, Iron Lady yeah. Drunk. Um, <laughs> but yeah, th- those first three films just form this really lovely kind of package of... Um, of yeah, what it's going to mean growing up to be in relationships. But also, they're really funny and cute and beautiful. Aww. They're well designed. They're they really look are. great. I mean, the first one has yeah. aged a bit, but it still <laughs> has just this most pleasing palette. You know, the colours of Andy's room, yeah. you know, with the sky blue and the white, big, white, fluffy clouds. Yeah. It's just very nostalgic. Isn't Randy Newman perfect for it? Yeah, he was. It was the only thing he was perfect for. And <laughs> it, it, was, it was a marriage made into heaven. Because, yeah. yeah, some of the other songs in that first one, like Strange Things, I think it was called. Strange mm. Things Are Happening to Me. Just. Yeah. Yeah. There's some really great songs in that trilogy. I think yeah. Randy Newman. Pro- <laughs> Did he write Jesse's song? Probably. When she <laughs> loves me. <laughs> but, yeah, also great voice acting from the likes of uh, Tim Allen. And also. Uh, Tim Allen? <laughs> Tim Allen. Um, I went to get Woody's voice actor and arrived at Woody Allen. Nope. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd have been a different film. Oh dear! Oh dear! Tom Hanks. Abort, that's abort. the one. <laughs> Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks and just Tom all, Thanks and Tom Thanks more like and all the all the rest <laughs> of um the regular Pixar actors and always a great yeah. villain too. Um, I can't I can't mm. remember who voices Sid. I think it's just a kid, but Kelsey Grammer yeah. in the second one and yeah. um Did Ned Beatty. Ned Beatty, yeah, playing uh lots of hugging bear just. Playing squeal piggy. <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. And Christina yeah. Hendricks one. in the fourth one, which we're not yeah. talking about because it's trilogies. But yeah, Amazing. It's, um, <laughs> it's really good stuff. Now, Woody, he's been my pal for as long as I can remember. He's brave, like a cowboy should be, and kind and smart. But the thing that makes Woody special is he'll never give up on you. Ever. He'll be there for you, no matter what. You think you can take care of him for me? What's number two? Well, onto the shit ones now. Oh no. Onto the lamest entries. Imagine if trilogies were suddenly French for shit films. <laughs> I think it would go something like this. And he made these movies. <laughs> when it made one of the best trilogies of all time. <laughs> Second. How did he get into Gotham, Paul? How did he? It's Batman. It's Batman. It's Christopher Nolan's... Chris Nolan's Dark Knight the trilogy. The Dark Knight yes. trilogy, yes, so it is. The Dirkner. <laughs> the Dirkner. Christopher Nolan's Donut trilogy. <laughs> Imagine. So... <laughs> if you make yourself more than just a man, then you become something else entirely. Which is... 
legend, Mr. Wayne. Yeah, it's it's the Dark Knight trilogy. I always called it the Donut trilogy again, you prick. <laughs> um, yes. <Yay. laughs> Starting with um, Batman Begins. And yeah. Liam Neeson's Batman Begins. Liam Neeson's Batman Begins, which uh, charts the journey of a young man to Batman as we all must go. Um, <laughs> as he travels what around. Great as he mitches around Asia for a while. And uh, yeah. then comes back in order to be Batman, as you, you know. yeah. Well, it's all waiting Punch for us. Punch up some Tom Wilkinson. You know, it's all very well living in that London, but at some point I am going to have to go back to Crayford and be Batman. <laughs> Every man will have to at some point, but <laughs> so, times vary. Aside from the fact that this is one of the most beautifully shot, incredibly staged, wonderfully designed, impeccably cast, and iconically cast, iconically cast. And fucking just striking movie trilogies of the last of this century so far, mm. and ever. It's just it, it's it's <laughs> to this list. it's just a wonderful exploration of these themes in which each movie is in some way a challenge, a, a direct challenge to the one that preceded it. So mm. you know, Batman Begins. He sets up this universe in which a guy finds that he's unable to pursue justice through the law, and so decides to do so by making himself a symbol that will represent. Um, the consequences of crime. He's going to try and make himself a thing yeah. of fear that will strike at the heart of the average criminal. In the second film, we see that he has largely succeeded in this and is actually on his way to bringing down the mob. At which point there is an answer to him because ultimately his methods of doing this have been somewhat fascistic. We see that in his first... Um, and I think some people who have compared the actions of Batman to George Bush, you know, with his um, extraditing foreign nationals in order to face interrogation um, and his sort of brutal interrogation techniques where he's happy to just beat people up whilst they're Mm. um, under interrogation Um, and his, um, near the end, his surveying of um, the people of Gotham using um, sort of extraordinary means. There are, you know, comparisons there to the war on terror and the Joker Mm. is defined and codified as a terrorist. But that's to miss Mm. the point that this isn't a movie where Batman wins. You know, yeah. this is a movie where the Joker kind of wins because the only piece mm. that Batman is able to achieve, having seen, you know, the person who was meant to be the best of us torn apart by circumstance. Yeah. Is to lie. Burn in the forest, Dan. Burn in the forest, Dan. He lies. He lies and builds a kind of troubling state on that lie. In the next film, we find yeah. out in Dark Knight Rises, we find out that this lie has allowed them to put a lot of people behind bars without due process. Yeah. Um, and also has, you know, just led to a huge underclass of people who have been disadvantaged by the ruling classes. Mm. And basically when Bane shows up, because of the actions of the rich, because of the actions of people who have failed to take accountability, he finds an army just waiting for him in the sewers. People who are so desperate mm. for work and for purpose that they're willing to join up with a madman and take arms against the city. Yeah. Um, it's just a really great sort of thematic trilogy for that, and also just exposes mm. the lie that ha- he was forced to come up with. It's yeah. what if it? It's ultimately a film that grapples with what are the actual realities, the philosophical problems of someone being Batman, and does so with yeah. a very straight face that puts some people off, but <laughs> is still just one of the most intellectually stimulating as well as viscerally yeah. exciting um, trilogy of action movies ever made. One of my favourite things about comic books, about superheroes in general, is this idea that they create their own nemeses. Yeah. By, you know, whether whether it's through their actions or through their principles Mm. or their symbol or or whatever. 
they they sort of they create the vacuum and it's filled yeah by balance which is not to say i believe you know in any karma or anything like that but it's just generally yeah. how things tend to work yeah exactly mm. who better to explore that than Chris- christopher nolan yeah you know and <laughs> um, because as well as having that that as well as having that thought it is just such a strikingly superb just just clear eff- effective action trilogy yeah and, and 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 it's just so nicely ended as well where you know batman sort of i guess he in he creates a need for himself like a management consultant would yeah um but unlike a management consultant mm. he realized the problems of his existence and then he would use himself to sort of sew up the 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 last you know the last of those issues yeah and 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 like see like realize the true the true purpose of himself was to mm. kind of i just just i don't know just of end himself yeah. after creating himself <laughs> it's it's which which now i now i try and vocalize that it does sound a lot like a christopher nolan movie <laughs> <laughs> time and space is getting twisted well, i guess somewhere. i guess he did direct it <laughs> yeah mm. i mean it makes sense now <laughs> I, did, I, I wondered why his name wasn't all the dvds that i bought <laughs> oh god yeah it's just it's a really interesting trilogy and one that's really compelling as well as being quite stimulating. Yeah, soundtrack's pretty good as well. Yeah. Oh fuck yeah, Hans Zimmer's soundtrack is just uh, sorry. Hans Zimmer and James Newton Howard's soundtrack is just yeah. really incredible to those movies. You don't owe these people anymore. You've given them everything. Not everything. Not yet. I suppose we better talk about the best one. Yeah. The best trilogy of all time. You know exactly what it is. Which one haven't we fucking mentioned so far? It's the biggest... Harry Potter. There's eight of those. (laughs) That's not a trilogy. You've misunderstood. Go back to the beginning of the podcast. You mugs. (laughs) Fuck off. Just because we've been throwing in the old Toy Story 4 doesn't mean you can make your own rules up. (laughs) Go listen to shit podcasts for idiots. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's this. (laughs) (laughs) You type that into Google and this comes up. Uh, More so than if you Google one good thing. <laughs> <laughs> really got to work on that, but yeah. all publicity is good publicity. Yeah, and someone who understands that better than anyone is Peter Jackson with his Lord of the Rings trilogy. You're late. A wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins. Nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. <laughs> it's wonderful to see you, Gandalf. <laughs> yeah. Not not only the most successful adaptation mm. of a book oh, what? Uh, of all time. Oh, this movie. Yeah, I know. This movie's shit Fucking and gay book film. <laughs> um <laughs> you say that that means shit in Latin. <laughs> no, it didn't, but I like that. <laughs> it should mean that in latin <laughs> book um not only is it mo- oh, the most success- successful one for for knowing w- where you know mm. what to adapt and what not to bother adapting <laughs> and 
Tom Bombadil, for example. Yeah, and just the um, overall structure is so good. Because if you look at the two towers, yeah. the book, it's had its opening nicked because uh, Boromir dies at the beginning of the two towers book. So they've put that at the end of Fellowship. Yeah. And it's had its big yeah. climax in which um, Sam successfully fights off uh, Shelob only for Frodo to be taken away by orcs. That gets taken mm. away from the end of two towers and put at the midpoint of return of the king and yet yeah. it there is a compelling argument for it be, being the best of the three simply because it's more focused it tells the story of the battle for rohan and sam and frodo's guidance by Gollum, and mm. eventual imprisonment by faramir and it's just so uncluttered and it's allowed mm. to because that um imprisonment by faramir is like a chapter in the book you know and yeah. here it's the last half of a film and actually lets you get into that character and see how mm. It represent he represents a kind of definitely a part of Aragorn's journey as well as um you know mm. a counterpoint to uh his brother Boromir. It's um yeah by having less to do it but, actually gets to be the most character driven. Um, mm. but the whole thing is just a masterclass of adaptation. This yeah. is how you do it. That's in- the Hobbit is not how you do it. No, Hobbit's the opposite of that. <laughs> it's an interesting one with Far- Faramir because in expanding that he he becomes more similar to Boromir than he is in the books. Mm. The, the problem is, because kind of like Tom Bombadil, I feel like he's never tempted in the books to take the ring. Mm. And it's interesting that he has this yeah. sort of um, elongated period of real temptation before he sees the light. And mm. it makes his death, I think, at the beginning of Return of the King so much stronger. But, I mean, that's the thing. is this yeah. movie is so, These movies are so long, and yet they manage so many convincing and beautiful story elements. That yeah. whole Denethor thing just plays off so well with such a satisfying conclusion yeah, yeah it really does mm. yeah everything is tied up very well and i mean I, you sort of it was parodied for a while the the seven endings oh in, yeah, in yeah return of the king um which you know fuck off <laughs> but also um academically speaking <laughs> fuck off i don't know any i don't <laughs> suck my big fat one <laughs> um I, I don't know any other way you could have done it because it was a film that took three hours to set the scene um yeah in the Fellowship of the Ring, got to pay off that scene to, to properly establish all of these wonderful, wonderful characters, mm. um, and then still you leave, still leave you wanting more. Mm. Um, if it would have done anything other than end the way it did, I think it would have just been thoroughly disappointing. Yeah. Um, because I guess you're right that the first one sets it up; it's a springboard, mm. and then it's it's flying through the air in the two towers, mm. just going towards its its end point, and becomes one of the. And then the Return of the points. King has to tie it all up. Yeah as well which is oh man just an incredible job of doing it and it's at the point now where i, I cry on cue because i, I know <laughs> something's coming there's several points through the end of yeah. the movie where it's time to cry and yeah the one that my face prickles the one that always gets me is um when aragorn says to the hobbits my friends you bow to no <sighs> one and everyone just takes Ugh. a knee around them and it's just yeah, Christ, these four little guys that's... from the shire have all in yeah, their own way proven their um their worth and their strength and it's you know completely mm. not at odds with t- typical views of strength in this world and yet they've all proven to be brave and noble in their yeah. own way and have each been tested yeah. especially in that third film for Merry and Pippin um although I love it's giving me chills man yeah I fucking love the journey that they go on especially in the two towers yeah. where um which one is it who realizes it first mm. is it is it I think it's Merry isn't it who who realizes the stakes of trying to get the yeah. um don't you get it? Yeah. <laughs> there won't be a home. Be a sh- yeah. Yeah. Be a shire. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There won't be, there won't be a crib. <laughs> po. What? <laughs> Jesus. Bitch. You know what? I'm, Ow. I'm really looking forward this uh, winter to re- rewatching the theatrical cuts 
because I have now come to the feeling that whereas when I was a kid, I was like, yes, more is better, always. The hmm. theatrical cuts are, in fact, the better experience, I suspect. So yeah, I agree. I'm looking forward to going back and watching and just reminding myself of what's in what. Because for a bit, I thought, and I feel like Nerdwriter got this wrong, that the mm. scene where King <gasps> Feoden, uh says so long to um, his son and yeah. um, says that great line, no parent should have to outlive their child. I thought mm. that was extended cut only. But no, it's I, it's the funeral no, before I'm... that. It's the funeral where Eowyn yeah. sings. That's in the extended cut. The um, Yeah. The theatrical yeah, no version. parent should have to bury their child yeah. is theatrical. Yeah, and it's stunning. But that, uh, it's an incredible scene. I, it's one of those bits I, I do think... I do really, really like the the actual funeral scene, mm. and oh, it's yeah. one of the few parts of the extended edition that I wish were in the theatrical. Yeah, but it's not it's not a detriment for not being in there. It's just such a beautiful scene. Yeah. Um, there, there, there's only a few though, and I th- I think they yeah. actually got it right with the theatrical cut yeah, for the most part. They did pretty well. It's just fun extra bits, you know, for the extended. But yeah, yeah, the theatrical is the the cinematic experience of our lifetime. Probably this was our yeah. Lord of the Rings. It was the yeah. the film and that it's gone of, now. It's gone. It's done. Well, we had our disappointing prequel trilogy, and I don't think really you can compare the Hobbit trilogy to the prequels much. They're better than that at the very least. <clears throat> Yeah, but they're still. I just got bored and went. Eh, well, they are woefully disappointing, and we'll probably have to try and cover one at some stage. Although I think even yeah. the worst one is is Battle of the Five Armies bad enough for us. I think it's the worst. We can make an argument. But I don't know if it's bad enough. We can make an argument. We we'll do a special. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. So who knows? Maybe we'll have an excellent sequel. Maybe the Amazon TV show will be amazing, and that will be our Force Awakens. But Maybe. nevertheless, it gets to occupy that sort of great period in our lives. Um, yeah. You know, look, I just had formative years. I have these memories of. Mm. Sorry. No, sorry, go ahead. The number of times I saw the special features, I could, mm. you know, and the commentaries. Oh, yeah. That was appendices. when I properly got into just... director commentaries and, yeah, the appendices, the yeah. making of, and learning all this stuff about the game that um, Dominic Boyd and Dominic Monaghan, no, uh, Billy Boyd and Dominic Monaghan yeah. made up uh, to <laughs> to Elijah Woods, and he just thought for the longest time that it was a game that existed. <laughs> yeah. All, yeah, all the stuff, and I can just Fuck, remember I it all. I remember again. Billy Boy talking about getting everyone to eat porridge, and him being really <laughs> proud of making everyone healthy. I just lived it I, day in day out. I remember the number of times I watched all that I, stuff. What I always remember is I think it's Sean Bean himself recounting a story where he managed to get Aragorn, um, Vigo uh, Mortensen's uh, boat off track, like drifting off, and um, Peter Jackson's <laughs> like, "What are you doing?" And he's like, "Oh, it's Bean. He's a." Uh... <laughs> It's been, sir. It's been again. I just love that the <laughs> bluntness of that. It's been. <laughs> and there's just so much. It just goes beyond the movies at, at that stage. Then it's it's it's. It was just my life for the longest time. Yeah. Everything about it, the soundtracks. I owned yeah. all the CDs and had I had the theatrical cut and I had the extended editions yeah. and had artwork and mm. I you know I I reread the book because of the movies yeah. and went ah the book better uh, <laughs> movies are better sorry and then um, I collected the um, just... I took part in that uh, what do you call it Middle Earth Warhammer thing I started doing that oh, I yeah. painted a whole shitload of those and I had a, a yeah. Helm's Deep that I made I made myself out of foam in my um, shed which oh. we could make we could probably put on the Twitter I've got pictures of it so yeah <laughs> amazing it fucking I, I was obsessed yeah. with it. Even more so than the Matrix. And even more so. <laughs> and then very quickly, the Hans Zimmer soundtrack. Um, <laughs> oh. the, the the Howard Shaw yeah. soundtrack with the leitmotifs. Uh, Iconic the, the, use the, of leitmotifs. You know, Definitive. The, the, the story in the, in the music itself yeah. is just incredible. Yeah, you can just listen to those soundtracks and just follow the story beats as you go. It's, yeah. 
incredible. And even that makes me cry. <laughs> yeah, so there's so. there's no doubt about it. For us, and for maybe our generation, Lord of the Rings trilogy is just the best thing that there ever was. Yeah, <laughs> best, best thing there ever was, even better than Ginsters. <laughs> we need even better than owning a house, I bet. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I, I'll never find out. <laughs> well, I'm back. pretty cool. much all we think about trilogies but what do what do you think yeah. what about the og team team oh <laughs> og t to team og t it's not a trilogy that in the top 10 <laughs> um look blowbusters podcast said look look paul look uh-oh just wait a goddamn second wait what's going podcast. on look just look all right um not 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 literally oh okay put me up cool. shut close uh, my eyes blowbusters podcast <laughs> <laughs> Blow vs. Podcast said Right now I'm torn between two The Cornetto trilogy For that is indeed a trilogy yep. Is definitely a trilogy It is you know, I'm not going to dispute that Paul uh, The Paul And, <laughs> uh, and John John Wick Is the other one John Wick is fucking Jan Wick Is fucking Jan Wick <laughs> Jan Wack Jan- is, is my favourite trilogy No it really is extraordinary Just as a trilogy of action movies It's probably the Best made in the last ten years Yeah We talk about it once an episode anyway So oh, yeah, we'll get yeah. some more on that <laughs> Um, okay. Um, Cecil Hops says oh. Captain America. Uh, most others have one weak entry, and then he lists all the weak entries: <laughs> Die Hard Two, Mad Max Three, Godfather Three, Spider Man Three. Uh, lots of three suck due to running out of ideas. Ah, oh. well, that might be part of it. But there's studio mandate as well, and sort of you know we've discussed some of the reasons yeah. why threes tend to be quite bad. But I'd agree with most yeah. of those. What were the good ones again? Sorry, at the beginning of that. Uh, he's a Captain America. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As discussed, yeah. brilliant. Just In trilogy. the top ten, yeah. Fuck everyone else. Yeah. Fuck uh, Video negatives said Die Hard, not counting four and five. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Evil Dead. Oh, Evil Dead. So great. Uh, yeah. If Nightmare on Elm Street ended with Dream Warriors, that would have been a tidy trilogy. It would have been Dream very tidy. Warriors. Dream Warriors. Yeah, that would have been very fucking um, tidy. We'd have appreciated that, yeah. but hey, that you wouldn't have great. gotten. Night up until dawn of the dead. Oh yeah, yeah. So, oh until dawn. Oh day is great. Go back and watch day. It's yeah. just it. The, it's to be honest, it's the one with the best. I didn't mention this. The best gore effects. Tom Savini does uh, dawn and day. Oh, and day has... shooting arrow. Tom shooting arrow a girl Savini. Because <laughs> of Nam Savini. <laughs> Love that guy. Yeah, it's the one with the best gore effects. There's one bit with like a head that's been severed with a spade mm. at the jaw, and the head oh. is just on its top. With teeth, you know, at the top, and the eyes are like darting yeah. around. And the way they did it is they buried a guy up to here, and then made his head up to look like this was the top of his head. Uh, that's fucking genius, and it looks fucking amazing. <laughs> <laughs> fucking hell, that's so good. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, revisited. Uh, Chris says trilogies are tricky because the third one is usually the shit one, <laughs> i.e., Return of the Jedi, Godfather Part Three, Dark Knight. <laughs> so I don't know what. I don't know what that was. Um, was it Skype called Blood Cup. Yeah. 
Yeah, weird. Anyway, <laughs> uh, won't be reading that again. Gotta, can't waste time. Uh, <laughs> Lord of the Rings gets better and better, and it's probably my favourite trilogy. Chris, kiss. Oh, it's hard to say better and better because it's just so so consistently amazing. But yeah, I could. There's an argument for that, definitely. How can it you gets darker. Perfect, you know, something that I mentioned. Yeah. One thing that always struck me is that how playful he's willing to be the fact that the return of the king starts with Gollum's backstory yeah it's just so cool <laughs> and that story that moment is so dark and it's just so yeah. not you know something that was mandated by the books and yet they did it anyway yeah. and made it fucking excellent it's just ah ah ow never gets old it's always great <laughs> yeah that's it thanks OGT thanks OGT E am that's the trilogy of team <laughs> nice okay well, how can people find out about one good thing? The exhaustive trilogy. Oh. We're approaching the end of phase one. <coughs> you can fucking get a job for a start, <laughs> hippies. <laughs> Other than that, you can send us a message at OGTPod, Twitter and Facebook. Send us an email at OGTPod at gmail.com. You can get in touch um, in the afterlife. Laconically. We're already inside you. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I know. But also, yes. Um, we are proud members of the Lot of Green Network. If you want to find us and other quite good Australian podcasts, you can do so at aloteofgreen.com. Ow! Um, tell a friend. Tell tell their friends' friends. Tell a friend's dog. Tell the poop that the dog leaves on your lawn as you're chasing the owner with a spade. <laughs> Just spread the good word. And, and the uh, poop. other than that, live the trilogy of your life, people. <laughs> live it. Act two is the best one. Be careful with that act three. <laughs> careful with that axe. <laughs> I'm Paul Act Three. I'm. I'm the Axeman. <laughs> and remember, the one good thing about film trilogies is that the third one is as good as you can make it.